going to note tonight that there are three sections to the Apostles' Creed, and we will be talking about each of those sections tonight, one, two, and three here. I'll also have you note that there are little asterisks, 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 that's not in the right place, I don't know why it jumped over there, that's all right, um, they lead down here, and you will see uh, where we're going with those as we talk about those individual items. So session three, we're going to be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ. And to do that, let's all turn to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. Let me have someone read for us those verses. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. Excellent. Excellent. And so there it is, Peter's great confession. Now, as we jump into this, you know, we are talking more largely about the Apostles' Creed. And again, just reviewing a bit, the Apostles' Creed does help us to understand more things about our Lord whom we serve. And, and I know that I'm speaking in a generation that has made popular the creed, no creed but the Bible. And that is a creed. You are saying, I believe there should be no creed but the Bible. That is a creed uh, that, that you're saying there. The Bible is the ultimate authority for us. It is the ultimate authority for us. But as we go through this, we're going to see that cult groups also claim that they believe the Bible, but they, they don't. Many people who say they believe the Bible, they get Jesus wrong. They say Jesus is a good teacher, but nothing more. They say that Jesus is a prophet, but nothing more. There are different people who get different things wrong. He's Michael the Archangel. He's uh, just one of God's many, many children that God gave generation to. I was just talking on the phone with someone who's talking with someone talking with a Mormon about that very issue. Well God has many children, God has a wife, you know, but he had many children. No, that's that's not that's not taught in the Bible. And so a lot of people say they believe in the Bible, but they get these things wrong. And that's where a creed helps us say, okay, what do you believe about the Bible? Would you agree with say the Apostles' Creed? And if the person knows what that is, uh, then they'll say either yes or no. If the person doesn't know what that is, then it gives you a very short, brief statement to review with them 
to see if you and that person are on the same page. Uh, it's, it's a good way to evaluate a person. Now, when Jesus asks who the disciples believed him to be, this is what Peter responds with in verse 16 that you just read. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And actually, in the Greek, there's a, another definite article. If, if we translated it a little bit more woodenly, it would come out like this. You are the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. That's four definite articles. Peter is giving a very definite definition to who Jesus Christ is. The Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. Now, if we deny any point of that, we are denying what Jesus said is correct. If you, if you say, well, Jesus is not the Christ, well, Jesus disagrees with you. If you say Jesus is not the Son of God, Jesus disagrees with you. If you say, you know, God is not real, <laughs> Jesus disagrees with you. You know, whatever you may say there. Let me have someone turn to John chapter 20, verse 31, and read that for us. Okay. I have a little different translation than Walter here. That's all right. <laughs> Go for it. I like it. Uh, but these are written so that you may be believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. That's the important thing right there. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is exactly right. And so we are called to a certain belief in Matthew, in John, I would say also in Mark, and in Luke. These gospel accounts are written to us so that we will believe something about Jesus Christ. And, uh, we, and so that we would have life in his name. Now, I would say the Apostles' Creed in reference to Jesus Christ here is accurate. And so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say in comparison to what the Apostles' Creed has to say about Jesus, at least in its opening statements here. The Creed highlights that Jesus Christ is God's only Son, our Lord. If we deny any part of that... We are not part of the Orthodox Christian faith. If you don't believe Jesus Christ, you're not, you're not professing the Christian faith. If you don't believe that he's God's only son, you're not professing the Christian faith. If you don't believe he's Lord, you're not professing the historic Christian faith. So let's consider that. First, the creed has three parts, as I said earlier. One focusing on the Father. I believe in God the Father, God, uh, in God Almighty, <laughs> maker of heaven and earth. Um, the largest portion, which is second portion, which I showed you just a moment ago, focuses on the Son. And then the third portion focuses on the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that and once we get a little closer there. And so this portion says, I believe in God, dot, dot, dot. And when we say and, of course, we are bringing that down. I believe in God and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. 
Okay, let's start with the name of Jesus. Now, if we were to take the Hebrew name of Jesus, uh, so there, there are a couple of different pronunciations and variations that have been proposed because we don't have the Hebrew name of Jesus preserved for us in, in, in an inspired format. The, the Holy Spirit and his wisdom chose to preserve the original uh, New Testament in Greek. And so we do know the Greek name for Jesus, Yesu. Yesu is the Greek name for Jesus. The Hebrew name uh, is apparently Yeshua. Some will say Yehoshua, which is actually the Hebrew name for Joshua. But we have Yeshua here, which is a shortened form for Yehoshua. And what does Yeshua mean? Well, it means God is salvation. We see there, God is salvation. Yah and Yasha. Yeshua, God is salvation. You shall name him Jesus. Oh, I'm, I'm about to quote it. Someone read for this for us, Matthew 121. Matthew 121. Exactly. You'll name him Jesus for the, the F-O-R there means because of. Because he will save his people from his sins. So there we see that the name is a direct result of, or the name is a direct result of his salvation. That's the connection. Now, what did Jesus say was his mission? Someone turn to Luke 19. Yes, please. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Exactly. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that was his mission. Jesus said that's his mission. The angel said, you'll name him salvation, and Jesus said he came for salvation. And so there it is. His name means salvation, <laughs> and that's why he's named Jesus. Of course, we don't really get that so much in the English, unfortunately. We don't get that so much in the English, uh, but in the Hebrew, it certainly would have come out, or at least in the Aramaic there, it would have come out. Uh, and his disciples also understood that he is that he has come for salvation. I don't think we're going to get any more subtitles tonight. For some reason, it is uh, losing connection there. All right, so Jesus, but we don't just call him Jesus. We call him Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Well, what is Christ? Well, again, if we have the Hebrew there, that is Mashiach. Mashiach. And that means Messiah. That's where we get the word Messiah from, is from the Hebrew Mashiach. Uh, if we were to say it in Greek, we would say Christos, Christos. Now, whether we're saying Mashiach or we're saying Christos, 
We are saying the same thing. We're saying anointed one. Anointed one. He is the one who is anointed. Um, he is the only one uh, who has this special anointing from God. There is no other anointed one. Now, what does it mean to be anointed? Why is that so important? What, what do you guys say to that? What are some ideas for why being the anointed one is such a key concept in biblical literature? He's the king. He's the king. He's chosen by God. Chosen by God. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the anointing specifically designates the, the one who would be chosen by God. Now, you said king because what do we see when David, for instance, is about or is chosen by God? We see Samuel coming over to pour oil on his head. And that is a sign. It means covered in oil. That's right. Um, so the oil actually is a representation of something else, too, of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost coming upon a person for a specific task. And yes, we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and he is there doing specific things. He is there with God's people uh, specifically uh, when he has a task set out, either as either a prophetic task or a regal task, like in the case of King David. Uh, he shares this anointing, by the way, with Christians. Someone read 1 John 2.20. 1 John 2.20. But you are not like that, for the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and all of you know the truth. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we do not need, in the case, I guess I could have given a greater context there in 1 John 2. 1 John 2, John there is saying, you don't have need for special teachers. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, we were just talking about a special teacher who, who believes that he has a pipe, or at least he tells people he has his pipeline to God, and he has a prophetic anointing, and if you listen to him, you'll be blessed. Well, the Bible tells us we don't need special teachers like that who, who get private revelation, and you just sit down at the feet of those teachers, and then you can get that private revelation. Guess what? You all have the Holy Spirit. And so you all have the anointing of God. You know, it's funny because some in these same circles, the, the word faith circles, most of the people you see on TBN, for instance, and some of these newer networks that have cropped up, uh, people will say, don't say anything bad about them because they have the anointing. And, and the Bible says, touch not the Lord's anointed. And of course, we don't do violence like, like David. He, he didn't choose violence against King Saul. But we all have the anointing of God upon us. We are all the anointed. It's not just special people, right, who are the anointed. We all have the anointing of God. Why do we all have the anointing of God? Because we are in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christos, in the anointed one. And so we have the anointing. It's not because we did anything. It's because we're in Jesus. 
that we have the anointing of God. It says we, it's Christ's righteousness, so that gives us the anointing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we, if, if we didn't have Christ's righteousness, we wouldn't be anointed. But because we do, we have it. And you're absolutely right, brother. I got it. I got to go. That's all right, brother. My friend Linda's getting out of the hospital. Oh, okay. See how fast the Lord's prayer is? There it is. Amen. The answer to prayer right there. Uh, let's uh, let's think about the, the triumphal entry for a moment. Um, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Of course, as you leave, that's the triumphal exit there. But uh, we'll, we'll think about the triumphal entry for a moment. <laughs> that's right. That's right. See you later, brother. So the triumphal entry. Uh, Palm Sunday doesn't seem like that long ago that we were celebrating Easter. Uh, but we have the triumphal entry with Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. What do the Pharisees say in Luke 19.39? Luke 19.39. Go ahead and read the next verse there. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if those if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think uh, Luke 1939 there. 39? <laughs> Luke 19. Oh, I'm in 13. That's why. 1939. There we go. Yes. It, uh, actually, go back to verse 38 there. I knew I had skipped something there. Yeah, people were shouting, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Exactly, exactly. And so as we, as we tie that together there, we see that Jesus is being, uh, is, is being exalted as the Messiah. And as the one who would be coming. Uh, Matthew 1.1. These are the genealogies of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Right? He, he is connected. And so we start to see here. In both Luke 19 and Matthew 1. That he has a connection to David and to Abraham. He is part of these covenants. He has a lineage that he can claim as his own. He not only has this uh, Davidic lineage, an Abrahamic lineage, he also has a divine lineage. Now someone turn to John 1, 1 through 3, and let me have someone read that one. There it is. Now, there, there have been famous heresies that have risen up through the centuries that have tried to refute this. We've we talked briefly about a few of these, like with the Arian controversy of the second century 
and then on into the third when they had that council meeting and they're all trying to get to an agreement on who Jesus is. And so they pass around the document and they, they say he is homoousius. He is a, the same substance as the father. And then the Arian supporters, they added in that one letter, the kind of like our I, it's the iota letter. And so instead of homoousius, he's homoousius, which means of like substance. He's kind of like it. And you see that one letter, and that's where we get the expression, by the way, don't change it, one iota. <laughs> because they had completely dismantled the doctrine by adding in the one letter. They were saying he's like God, and we can be like God too. And that was their idea. The Mormons are, are good examples of this. Um, they, they, they teach that uh, eternal progression of God, that God was once like we are, and we can be like he is. That's the idea. If you are a good Mormon couple, you'll, you'll get married and, and you know, have babies and go through the temple ceremony. And if you've done everything just right, God will give you your own planet. And the husband will become the god of that planet. And the wife will become the uh, populator of the planet. You know, you just become eternally pregnant for the rest of eternity, I guess. And, <laughs> and you just fill up that planet. Um, Job's witnesses, uh, they, they have a similar idea of, of Jesus not being God. In their case, they say it's, he's really Michael the Archangel. And it's, it's really just variations on old heresies here. But here in Scripture, we see very clearly who this Jesus is. What did the what does the angel say? Matthew one twenty Matthew one twenty three. Matthew one twenty So we see that he comes through a virgin, and yes, that Greek word always means virgin. It doesn't. It doesn't mean young lady. There's that question in the in the Old Testament. What did the Hebrew word mean? Well, when the Holy Spirit inspired the New Testament, he chose the word for virgin. It always means virgin. So there it is. He he has a supernatural birth, and his name is Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word, which means what? God with us. There it is. God with us. And so he has a divine lineage as well. So he has this, this key human lineage. He could not be the Messiah if he was not also the son of David. And he could not be the king of kings, the lord of lords. But we also see that he, is the, he has this divine lineage as well. That he's the son of God. And of course, the, the Old Testament knows about this, but it's not something that uh, really was made clear until the New Testament. But when we, when we tie this together, he is the Son of God, 
We can see that together. We have that at his baptism, for instance, where God affirms him. Uh, God the Father affirms him. We see Jesus going into the water. We have the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom, in whom I am well pleased. And we also have the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove, alighting upon Jesus. We have John 3.16, that famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And there are lots of other places we could we, we, we could turn for that. And he's the only begotten, um, which could very well be understood as unique. Um, obviously, if he's the only begotten, he is unique, but the language could also mean unique son. Uh, either way you want to look at it, he is the son of God. And he's the only one. He's the only one. And this, this helps us to understand Old Testament passages like Isaiah 45 where God says there is no other Savior. Well, if there's no other Savior but God, then how does Jesus come in? If Jesus is Michael the Archangel and he's also the Savior, well, that contradicts what God clearly said. There is no other Savior. But if Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, then that makes sense. There is no other Savior but God and God comes down in flesh. And so there we have the only begotten or unique Son of God. But now, that makes it so hard when, when you understand that God, that Jesus Christ is God, manifested in the flesh. So you're saying, well, how can God call himself the Son? But I think because of his fleshly origin, mm-hmm. it's why he's the Son of God. Right, right. He, he is, and, and remember also the tr- Trinitarian nature of God. There, there are three persons in God. Um, Person may not be the best word for that uh, because they are completely united in one. There is only one God but but, but there are three. uh, There's only one substance. There are three three persons there. Um, And so that's, that's where you see him coming out. Now that makes him unique but how, how are we called children of God? I mean, I could it, very rightly in one sense say, I'm, well, I'm also a son of God. And the ladies can say there are daughters of God. Uh, so so how, how does that work together? Uh, I found it interesting. The Heidelberg Catechism actually addressed that. There's actually a question on this very topic. And, and here's the answer. It says, because Christ alone is the eternal natural son of God. So Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. But we are children of God by adoption, through grace. And so he's the only begotten, in one sense we could say that, but we are the adopted. We're brought in to the family of God for his sake, through grace. And so we're adopted, he's begotten. And that's how that works. That's why we can be called children of God even though he's the only son of God. Let's, uh, let's consider Jesus' own words in John 8, 19-24. Who wants to read that one for us? 19. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you 
temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sins. For I told you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? Then he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Pretty plain. <laughs> yeah, very plain. Thank you, brother. Yeah, see, it's, it's not enough to just believe that the Lord existed. We have to believe the truth about him, right? We have to have proper belief in him, proper faith in him. But we, we have to trust in him. Because if we don't believe that he is the one, and we could even talk about the fact what he means by I am, because there's actually a connection there between that statement, I am, and the great I am in Exodus, when God reveals himself to Moses. If you don't believe properly about Jesus, you will die in your sins. That, that, is, that is a clear statement. Oof. And so we have to affirm the Lordship of Christ. We have to affirm that he is Jesus, our Lord. Again, the angel said, said that, that he is our Lord. Luke 2.10, he says, Do not be afraid, for behold, this is the angel speaking, I bring you good, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there, is, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I know all of you know that very well, because either you read that at, uh, at Christmas time, or you turn on Charlie Brown and you have Linus read that to you at Christmas time. But either way, you know that the angel said that Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. And there are Christians who say, well, we don't have to necessarily affirm his lordship. We just have to affirm he's the Savior. And we have to affirm who he is. He is Lord and Savior. He is all of these things. And in fact, if we go on with this thought, what does it mean that he's Lord? Well, if he is God, if he's Emmanuel, God with us, then it stands to reason that he's Lord. And in fact, we could go one step further, and this is, this is something that would only come out in the original language studies. Consider this, that at the time of Christ, not everyone spoke Hebrew anymore. Most people were speaking Aramaic, uh, which was kind of a form of Hebrew, but then again, not everyone even spoke that. Greek was the lingua franca of the day. What, what does that mean? That means that it was the language of commerce. It was the lingua franca of the day. Today, that's English. You can go almost anywhere in the world and ask the question, do you speak English? And someone will answer, yes. Why? Because... English is the language of, of commerce today. Back then it was Greek. That, that, and that's because of Alexander the Great coming through, right? 
tonight and conquering the whole known world. And he Hellenized or, or made it Greek. And so people spoke Greek back then. Well, as the Jews were lo losing their uh, ability in, in, in Hebrew, especially in some of the areas in which they lived, like in Egypt and Alexandria and different places, they needed a Greek translation. This actually predates Christ by about 270 years. The Hebrew uh, uh, scribes, the, the rabbis that got together and they said, we need a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that Greek translation is called the Septuagint. The Septuagint, when it came across the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, said, well, we need another word. We don't even say Yahweh because we're afraid of taking God's name in vain. We say Adonai, which means Lord. So why don't we translate it Lord in the Greek, which is Kurios. And so imagine now that you are a Jewish person living in the first century with Jesus. You, you've been trained in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You keep hearing God is Kurios. God is Kurios. In the beginning, God, Kurios, made the heavens and the earth. You keep hearing this over and over and over again. And then uh, you hear this, Romans 10, 9, that you have to believe in your heart that, uh, that Jesus is Lord. Or excuse me, confess with your mouth. Conf I, I knew I got that wrong. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Kurios. Wait a minute. I have to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Kurios? Now, they did also refer to human people as lords, much like we have the capital L, Lord, and then we have lowercase lords in our history, right? Um, you know, the lords and the ladies of the, of the round table, you know, and different things like that. We do have uh, in Greek this idea of human lords, but how is a Hebrew or how is a Jewish person going to understand that when they've been trained up in the Septuagint? You have to confess with your mouth, Jesus is kurios. They've heard all their lives that God is kurios. Now they're, they're hearing that we have to confess that Jesus is kurios. Jesus is God. That's what they're hearing. He is Lord. That means he is in control, just like a human Lord, of course, uh, controls his subjects, the people who are under him. Uh, you also have God, of course, controlling his creatures. Jesus is God. And, of course, the Nicene Creed adds here, Jesus is begotten, not made. Why? Because he is God of very God. He is the eternal God. And so we cannot conclude that Jesus is something less than God. He has the authority of God. That means that we should listen to him. He has purchased us with his precious blood. We are his doulos. We are his slaves. And so we should listen to him. And later in the Apostles' Creed, we read this. He shall come to judge the living and the dead. We want to make sure that we are on the right side of that judgment. We want to make sure that we know who he is and that we have 
that we have accepted him for as he has revealed himself. So the question is, do you believe and have life in his name?